0: this evening. Welcome again to Renovation Church. We're glad that you are with us tonight um, as we celebrate something that, frankly, in the minds of most people is unusual to celebrate. And as we think about the cross tonight, and as we've walked through Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and reading through Mark 15, we just want to take a few minutes tonight and, and meditate on the reality of, of why we celebrate such a difficult thing. So will you, will you take a moment with me, and we're going to do this briefly as we continue our service tonight, and, but I want to read um, beyond where Tom just read for us. And uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Mark 15. If not, we're going to have it on the screen for you or grab your app and take a look at Mark chapter 15. And I'm going to start reading in verse 21. Tom just read for us the moments of Jesus before Pilate and uh, really this trial where Jesus stands silent. Falsely accused, not a word of protest. Really falsely tried, not a word of protest, even to the point where, where Pilate himself says to the people calling for his crucifixion, what has he done? What crime has he committed? What do you want me to do with this man? And they, they cry out, this, this crowd who, as we, have, as we read the narratives, was, was literally the same crowd of people on Palm Sunday, celebrating his triumphal entry, now crying out and stirred up and and calling for Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate goes along. We see in verse 21, let's read together. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. They brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. As we just saw prophesied in Psalm 22, they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. And come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Let's pray briefly. God, we just ask that you would speak to us through your word tonight. We read of an event, the most significant event in the history of our world. Help us, Lord, through your word to understand. Illuminate your word as we meditate on it tonight. Just light it up in our hearts in a way that we get it like we've never gotten it before. In a way that it would change us. Change me tonight. Change my heart. Help me to know you better in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. What an unbelievable story. What an unbelievable reality of our Lord and Savior and what he did on our behalf. You know, it's interesting today, people speak a lot about the significance of faith, the significance of, you know, what some philosophers would call the mythos, or like this idea of needing something more in, a, in kind of a, a world we live in that's really very postmodern, right? It's, it's philosophically gone to a place... That's that, what, what people would call postmodern, where, where folks don't necessarily believe that there's truth. And, and, and what we see culturally, which is interesting, is a lot of people kind of scrambling back to this idea of what they would call the mythos or this idea of a need for something to anchor in truth. As, as postmodernism kind of eats itself because it can't sustain, um, people scrambling back to saying, what's real? What's, what is real? What's what's significant to me? How do, I, how do I go forward and live my life? How do I deal with tragedy? How do I deal with marriage? How do I deal with work? How do I deal with kids? What actually really matters? And as we see people scramble back to some idea of truth, what's interesting is, they, is, is I hear people uh, speaking about Christianity. What they seem to always focus on is this idea that there is a Jesus who lived this incredible life that we should take a close look at, and that maybe we should mimic to some degree, right? Like, remember years ago, I think when I was a youth pastor, um, a lot of people were wearing bracelets. Remember the bracelets? What would Jesus do? In this idea of, of really considering Christ and what he lived like and the things that he said and the things that he spoke of, and how could I maybe attain to some of those things and live in a particular way and mimic him? And what's interesting is, is as we look at the cross tonight, we realize something even more powerful than that. The mimicking of Christ, the idea that we could be somehow like this, this Jesus, does not go far enough. There's something so much more significant about who he is and what he did. So much more significant. And it's really wrapped up in this moment of the cross. We see... In Mark 15, and in Matthew 27, and as we read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, we see prophesied about and then in reality happening in these narratives, the God of the universe coming to to earth, the incarnation of Jesus, for the purpose of him going to a cross and dying. We see that Jesus was born. He was born to climb this vile tree. Murderers stalked him before he was even a toddler, before he could walk, as we see in Matthew that Herod, searching for this king that would challenge him and having them kill babies. We see Jesus fighting evil in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, and taking it on. And we see Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, uh, healing the sick, casting out demons, and performing miracles. And here, in Mark 15, we see depicted as also in Matthew 27, this this cross that Jesus was born to go to, as he, as he set his eyes, as we sang about the garden, Jesus understanding what he needed to do, as he laid in the garden and, and he cried out and, and, and asked the Lord, could you take this from me, but not, not my will, but yours be done, understanding where he was headed as he sweat actual blood in the garden of Gethsemane and faithfully, Fulfilled his mission as he head to the cross. What was this about? Why? One of the things that stands out to me to answer that question in Mark chapter 15 is these unbelievable moments where the creator is mocked by his own creation. Wagging their heads at him. Jeering at him saying, why don't you come down and save yourself? And even the high priests and the elders mocking him and saying, oh, this is the Christ, come down and save yourself, and then we'll believe, as if all the miracles leading up to this point had no impact on them to believe, but this somehow would. And here's what we realize about the faithfulness of Jesus and what this cross was all about. Don't think for a moment... That as this moment in history, the central moment in human history is happening, In the Son of God uh, is, is, is incarnate, he's, he's here, he's lived this perfect life, he's hanging on the cross, don't think for a moment that the entirety of heaven was not peering down on this very moment as it was happening in time here on earth as he hung on that cross, that every angel that that ever existed wasn't staring at this moment. In one word from Christ, they couldn't have come down and wiped out the entire Roman cohort. Don't think they couldn't have. But Jesus, who spoke no word of protest, who said nothing in his own defense... He couldn't have saved himself and saved you and me at the same time. So he stayed silent. They didn't take his life. He gave it. He willingly became the most despicable sight in human history as he took upon himself God's wrath and punishment for our sin. And in doing so, couldn't save himself. He had to bear the weight of that guilt, bear the weight of that punishment. I mean, we think about the the crucifixion and its depiction here in Scripture and the difficulty of just the physical pain that Jesus went through. And, 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 you know, any of us that have, have, if you've read it, if you've thought about it, the physical pain is immense. The nails driven through his hands, the nails driven through his feet, the beating, the scourging, the, the whipping, the, the spitting on him, the suffocation that's endured through crucifixion and inability to breathe. The physical pain is unbearable, but that's not the most significant pain that Jesus went through. We're going to read in a moment where Jesus cries out for the first time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see in this moment the reality and the significance of what Jesus was doing. As he experienced separation from his father, as he experienced the full wrath of God for sin poured out dry on him as our substitute. Folks, as we meditate on the cross tonight, we don't think of mimicking Jesus in a way that we could maybe live up to his example. What we behold, what we see, is a Jesus who took our place, he's our substitute. I mean, think about this narrative for a moment, because I can't help but say this. As I look at the narrative and get just introspective and think about my own life, where do I put myself? I'm not one of the disciples. I'm not, I'm not one of the Roman soldiers. I'm not Pilate. Where am I in this whole narrative? It, I'm in that crowd calling for his crucifixion. And if you don't see yourself in that place in this narrative, you don't understand the depths of your own sin. He showed his love in this, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. When I was completely disinterested in him, when I had no regard for him whatsoever, he paid the price for me. What an amazing gift. He became my substitute. In my total rejection of him, he still paid the price for me. As uh, I've often spoke of here at Renovation Church, in my 12 years as a prosecutor, just handling child abuse cases and homicides, seeing the devastation of sin and understanding the debt that that accrues uh, in, in, the, in the need to make things right, for God to be just. But I don't have to look that far. I really can look into my own heart. And see that need. The moments of my life when I've just been untruthful to save myself. Maybe as you think about the depth of your own sin tonight as we reflect on the cross, you think of that moment where I betrayed a friend and I can't take it back. I can't make it right. When I hurt somebody, when I hurt my spouse, when I, when I, uh, when I hurt my children, when I hurt those I love, when I lied to gain a benefit that I didn't deserve, when I coveted and and wanted that thing that wasn't mine to have, when I hated my brother in my heart, even maybe to the point of violence and hurting someone and striking out and doing something that I can't fix, that I can't take it back. As I sit in those moments and allow myself to get into the darkest places of my heart, to understand the depth of my own sin and my own betrayal and my own devastating nature that's always bent to serve myself instead of others, I have a moment tonight to come into this place with you and look upon the cross. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at that cross tonight. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've gone, how bad it's gotten, how dark it really is that you know in those moments when no one's looking and no one's around and you're by yourself. You can bring it into the light and realize that the Lamb of God hung on a cross and took the payment for you so you don't happen. So you don't have to. He yelled out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that those of you who are in Christ can state with confidence, My God will never leave me. My God will never forsake me. Amen. He was He was forsaken, so you don't have to be. And God, who is absolutely just, because if he wasn't just, he wouldn't be good, poured out justice on his own son, poured out his wrath on his own son, and the one who will make all things right has made that possible through Christ, amen? Maybe tonight, as you reflect on the cross, you think of what others have done to you. And there really is this moment, this opportunity, to realize in our own lives that, and I know this is easy for me to say, but I stand on the scripture and its truth that given the reality of the cross, There's nothing that anyone has done to you that you haven't done worse to God and been forgiven for. And when I say anything, believe me, I recognize that there are some things people can do to each other that are about as awful as you could ever imagine. And in a room this size, I know that there's a lot that's happened. But the reality of the cross tells us this that Jesus experienced separation from God in that moment as he cried out on your behalf for you. In your sin, he died for you and he loves you and he has forgiven you if you're in Christ. And guess what you're free to do? Forgive. You're free to forgive that one who's done wrong to you because the debts that you chalked up have been paid in full. Amen? This is really, in some respects, a solemn moment as we reflect on the cross in Good Friday. But it is a celebration. Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection and the significance of him finishing that work. But tonight... Let me just challenge you. Come to the cross. Peer at it. Take a wide-eyed look. Behold it. Meditate on it. Reflect on the significance of a Savior who was your substitute. Your, the Bible word, is propitiation. His he was a wrath absorbing substitute on your behalf there's only one response to that it's worship folks he he has done it he has finished it he has completed the work And we now live in freedom in the response of those who have experienced this kind of love that, as Mike said, we'd never know if it wasn't for this. The response of someone who's experienced that kind of love is only to worship the response from viewing the cross in its full significance and its reality for me personally is, is to get up and to worship. And, and I know that the risk I run as I, as I just wrap up here is that when we talk about this, so many people sitting here feel as though, you know, this is, this is a great church moment. This is an interesting thing to read about and think about as a group. And I know God loves us and, and as if God is partial to groups. But but listen. Stop that. Think for a moment about you, you, personally. I don't care what you're going through subjectively right now or how you feel. Subjectively, we go up and we go down and circumstances throw us all over the place and things happen and people do things and and we question. We question love. Sometimes our definition of love is just wrapped up in a bunch of experiences we've had where people have disappointed us and it becomes very subjective and and we struggle. And here's what we can do tonight. Reach outside of that subjective feeling or up and down that you may be going through. Reach outside of it and you can hold on to something that is objective that doesn't change change that's absolutely true god loves you and he demonstrated it in something significant and real and historic and it happened and it doesn't change amen and you can hold on to that reach out of outside of the subjective stuff going on and and look at the reality of the cross and don't ever question god's love again he loves you. He paid the price for you. He died for you. He absorbed the wrath of God for you so you don't have to. Amen? It's good news. I, mean, I know this is a Good Friday event, but this is something as Christians we should do every day. Amen? Get close to the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ and just let the sparks of it fly off onto your life and let it change you. Let it change me. Lest we forget what he's done. Folks, a life that worships and responds to the gospel really has the power and the capability to become more and more Christ-like and be more like him. But we don't do that to earn brownie points. He's already finished it. He loves us. We do it because we're grateful and because he finished it and because he's a good God who loves us, who demonstrated it on this cross. Amen? That's a significant difference. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight for the reality of your cross. We're really only scratching the surface of its significance We worship you. You're the only one who's worthy. You deserve it. We are so prone in our sin day to day to worship ourselves and our own needs and our own temporal desires. And you show us in this that you are the only one who deserves to be on that throne. Help us to hold you up. Help us to worship you and you alone. All the glory of everything in our lives goes to you. You have done it. And we throw our lives in complete reliance upon it. And we trust you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.